Okay, last week uh, we saw Paul uh, continue in the first of his six defenses as Christ ambassador in chains. If you remember in chapter 22, it was really Paul's testimony, his life before Christ, how Jesus rescued him, and then how his life changed after Jesus rescued him. This week, we look at chapter 23, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see how God continues to care for Paul and protect him, even though a lot of people want to kill him. And the amazing thing is that God, again, uses the Roman soldiers this week who were really the enemies of Israel. He uses these enemies to protect His servant and to continue His unfolding plan. You know, if, if, if you would have crafted a story to the people of Israel about how God was going to raise a guy up like Paul and he would go through all this stuff, you could, nobody would have believed this story. Nobody would have believed that the Romans would be used as part of God's plan, first of all. And, and now this is the fourth time that we're going to see God use Roman people to protect His servant Paul. Paul's life was full of pain. His life was full of suffering. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he was told, you're going to suffer. You're going to be bound. He knew it, but he went willingly. And a lot of times when I read about Paul, I get very convicted in my own life about the way I think about God's commands to me or if I I feel Him moving me to do something, how I'll try to rationalize a way why I shouldn't do it. But Paul embraced it. He embraced it. And I think one of the reasons he embraced it so readily is because he knew where he came from. And when we forget where we come from, we begin to think that we're more valuable than we are to people. Uh, Like we're more valuable than Jesus or God. Uh, and, and like God doesn't know best what He wants to do. We want to redirect His plans. And, and I, I say this a lot because it's, to me, it's, it's probably one of the best visible examples God gives us. I think teenagers are the best example of what we are to God a lot of times. Because every man in here knows when he tells his teenager to do something and the teenager thinks they know better than them, how that makes you feel, right? And yet God in His mercy continues to use us, guide us, protect us in spite of our rebellion a lot of times. And um, I think that's why He gave us teenagers. (laughs) I mean, to remind us of what we look like to Him. But in today's text, it's only 11 verses, but we're going to see again, like Paul, that God calls you and me to a life where we're submissive to His Word. And we see that again in Paul. We see it over and over and over. He's submissive to the Word of God. But we also see in Paul a life that's secure in God's Son. He's secure in His Son. And he even brings up in this moment where he goes before the Sanhedrin, the resurrection. And again, let me just say that when you look at the Bible, a lot of times, like we're not getting every word Paul said here. 
We're getting a recap. This is the highlights that he's telling Luke that Luke is writing to Theophilus that we're getting the benefit of. But it's a highlight. So I can promise you if he's talking about the resurrection, he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And he's talking about the Gospel because that's who Paul was. And, and Paul is secure in, in the Son of God. That was... that He said if... if, if we believe this in vain, then our lives are worth nothing. This is, it'd be, we're foolish. But he really believed in the resurrection. Why? Because he saw Jesus. He saw him. And so he was secure in his son. And then, third, we see in Paul's life that he was strengthened by God's presence. Now, all these things God calls you and me to as well. He calls us to be submitted to his word, to be secure in his son and to be strengthened by His presence. And as we look at this text, I hope you'll keep that kind of in the background of your mind that, that those things that are available to Paul are available to you and me. It's not like they just God said, okay, I'm just doing this for Paul. Those things, every one of those things, He calls us to, and, and He provides the same strength that He gave to Paul to us if we tap into it. If we respond to him. And so as we look at this text, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to look at each one of these, kind of break them out, um, starting in verse 1 of chapter 23. Join me in reading. And looking intently at the council, now this is the Sanhedrin, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me and according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of, a, of Pharisees. It is respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up, and they contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. These are the very words of God. Paul starts off again when he goes before the council. So 
Jeremy, since you weren't here last week, um, last week we saw Paul uh, giving a defense. What happened is, uh, uh, it was Pentecost. If you remember, at Pentecost, all the Jews from around the world, not just in Israel, but around the world, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. They had to celebrate three feasts every year. And this was the second of the three feasts. So it didn't matter if somebody passed away in your family. It was crop. It didn't matter what was going on. Every man had to go to Jerusalem and be part of the feast. So Paul wanted to go there because he was in Asia and he wanted to go tell the Jews. He felt like this was going to be his last shot because he knew the end was getting near for him. He just had that sense from God. And so he wanted to go there and, and share the gospel with them. So when he gets there, these Jews from Asia recognize Trophimus and they create a stir. There's a riot. The Roman soldier, uh, uh, soldiers who were at uh, the Antonio Fortress see what's going on. Claudius Lysias, who is the Chiliarch, which is the guy over a thousand Roman soldiers, he sees and sends them, uh, a bunch of centurions and a bunch of troops down there. They get Paul. And so Paul gives a defense because uh, Paul goes, hey, do you mind if I say something to him once they get him into a safe place? And he lets him. That in itself is a miracle, that, that they would even let him speak. And so he gives them this speech, and they listen for a while. And the reason Claudius is trying to, he's trying to figure out what's going on. He didn't know why this guy is being mobbed by everybody. And so it, it, Paul's given the speech, and at one point in the speech, he says, God told me to go to the Gentiles, and everybody loses it. Why? Because the Gentiles were pagan, and, and the Jews, they, they just couldn't even fathom that God would send anybody to Gentiles. By the way, did God say in His Word He was sending people to the Gentiles yeah. in the Old Testament? Yes. Yeah. Was that part of the plan from the beginning? Yes. Yeah. And, and the Jews didn't get it. These Jewish people there. And so, we talked about this last week. Paul was persecuting the way. He shares his story. We looked at his life before Christ. We looked at how Jesus rescued him. And we looked at what happened afterwards. And what his defense was is, listen, I did not want to go to the Gentiles. I was persecuting Jesus. And God made me. He changed me. It was, it was a life-changing moment in Damascus. And now He sent me to the Gentiles. Well, when they, he said that, they lost it. And so... Lysias sends his guys back. They get him. They pull him and they go, we're not figuring anything out. Let's just scourge him. Let's go ahead and beat him the Roman way. And then he goes, is it, is it a right for you to beat a Roman citizen? And, and all of a sudden, they got scared because they could lose their lives for doing that to an uncondemned Roman man. And so they go, let's, let's take him to the council. And let's, let's call the Jewish leaders. This is obviously something about Jewish law. Was there another person they did that to? And so they, they took him to the council. His, his life is eerily mirroring Jesus, the one who persecuted, which is really interesting the way God made it mirror so perfectly. Almost so many things. There's so many things that are identical. And so now he's in front of the council. The council's 70 elders. It goes all the way back to Exodus and, um, and the law and the Torah where they would have 70 guys kind of 
who were in charge. They were the spiritual elders of the people, and it was made up of Pharisees, Sadducees. They were the ruling elders of Israel, kind of like the Supreme Court because they were a theocracy, right? They, they oversaw everything, and then they had one high priest. And so Claudius Lysias calls those guys and says, come, you're going to have a meeting. So this was not in their normal place. They called him to come. It was more of an informal gathering. And so Paul recognizes that now he has another chance to testify. So he says, brothers, and what does he say? I stand before you and God with a clear conscience. Now, could any Jew ever say he had a clear conscience? No. No. But Paul said that. How could Paul say that? Because Paul knew Jesus. That right there would raise some eyebrows. I stand before God with a clear conscience. And, uh, it's, you know, Jews apart from Jesus never had a clear conscience. They just never did. And so, he goes, I'm a faithful jew and I stand before God with a clear conscience. Well, when the high priest heard that, he lost it. And he ordered him struck. And what's interesting about this is, when Jesus was struck, was He ordered struck or did they just react? Even then, the high priest didn't order Jesus struck. It was the people around Him that struck Him. Here, the high priest who's supposed to represent God's law and God's he is God's ruler over the people, ordered Paul struck contrary to the law. Ananias was a bad guy. This is not the same guy as Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was a high priest when Jesus... This is a different guy. This is Ananias. He was evil. He was evil. He was an evil high priest. Very evil. And he ended up dying when, when Rome came in and decimated the city. He, he died like a dog, really. He, was, it was, he, he, he got what he deserved. He got what we all deserve. But he, he is a guy who, who never bought into Jesus. And I wonder how many times he heard the Gospel. How many times he heard it and he rejected it. But here, he orders Paul struck in violation of the law. And just like Christ was struck in front of the council, Paul was struck. And by the way, the word strike there is not a slap. Like Christ, it says, I think in one text, he was slapped. This is a fist smash. This word is used to, it's like a boom, a fist smash. Not a slap. And Paul lost his temper. (laughs) You can tell that by what he said. God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's not something you want to say in the court, right? I mean, this is a court. This is an informal court, but it's still a court. And he, 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 he reacted. And I love this because what did we see last week? Last week we saw Paul arguing with God. God told him to do something, and he's sitting there telling God, His plan, which is better in his mind. And you see the humanity of Paul. Last week you see it, this week you see it. Does that make you feel better? It makes me feel better. To know that Paul lost his temper. 
in a moment. Listen, some guy smashes you in the face. That's your your flesh reacts. And Paul was probably, man. I mean, all the stuff he went through for Christ. All I mean, th- this guy was up here, right? Like, I mean, this guy was a servant, servant for the Lord, and he reacted when he got smashed. And sometimes we get smashed in life, guys. Sometimes we get smashed and our flesh reacts. And, 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 and God is merciful. He was merciful to Paul here because Paul said, He's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Which basically, that just means a, a wall people put paint on, but it's crumbling on the inside. It just looks good on the outside. So Paul's not wrong. What? He's not wrong. Well, I, I think he's wrong in the sense of the way he reacts. He's not wrong in what he said. Correct. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's it, it is. He is a whitewashed wall. What he's doing is wrong, but he reacted in anger against the high priest. Now, the scripture tells us then Paul, you know, after he said that, he goes, Are you going to judge me according to the law and then you go against the law? He tells how he's a hypocrite. Paul knew, Paul knew what the law was. And, and you know, Paul's life after Christ, well, even, even before Christ, even though he didn't know God, he thought he knew God. He knew the Word. He, he was trying to be submissive to the Word, what he thought. But I also contend that he had heard the gospel before the road to Damascus and he rejected it. And he didn't know God. He didn't know God because when God popped in front of him, he didn't know who he was. And if you don't know the Holy Spirit, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. If you know God, you know the Holy Spirit and you know Jesus. You can't know one without knowing the others. Because they're all one. And when, and when he goes, who are you, Lord? He indicated he had no clue who God was. Even though he had spent his life thinking he was serving God. Do we have people like that today? Yeah, we can be like that too. Paul wanted to be submissive to the Word. He wanted to be submissive to the Word. You know, in... Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says, be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Don't just be hearers. Did Israel have a problem hearing the Word and not doing it? All throughout the Old Testament you see that. They heard the Word a lot, but they didn't respond to it. And John, the Apostle John says, if anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word and My Father will love him. And we will come and we'll make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. How important is God's word to our display of love for God? Without it, we can't display. The reason we keep the word is not to earn our way to heaven. It's to show people that we really love God. Being submissive to His Word isn't an obligation to us. It's a way that we show we love God. 
And so Paul wanted to be submissive. James 4 says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. Can the devil be on you in a moment? Yeah, and, and that's what happened with Paul here. Paul got smashed in the mouth and the flesh said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to be the high priest and you're going to order me struck in violation of the law? I haven't been convicted of anything in this court. I'm making a defense and you order me struck. You're a whitewashed wall. And um, he... He said, basically, God's going to curse you. God's going to strike you. God's going to bring vengeance upon you. You hypocrite. And in verse 4, those who stood by said, are you going to revile the high priest? Now this word revile there is only used three other times in the New Testament. It's used over in John chapter 9. When you remember when Jesus healed the blind man? And they and, and they basically um, and it says they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. They used it there. That word was used there in John chapter 9, revile. The word means to mock or insult out of anger to mock or insult out of anger it was also used in 1 Corinthians 4.12 it says when Paul saying when we're reviled we bless when we're persecuted we endure when he's talking about what we should do rather than respond back in kind and it's used in 1 Peter 2.23 talking about Jesus when he was reviled he did not revile in return. But those are the other three times it's used in here. And it literally, it just means to mock out of anger. To slander. And what is Paul's response when they said this to him? Now think about it. He just got smashed in the mouth and he responded because this guy was in violation of the law. How would you have responded if somebody goes, hey, are you going to revile the high priest like that? Yeah, he deserves it. He just he just ordered me struck. He says I'm violating the law. I got rights. Right? <clears throat> I got rights. That's not what Paul did. Paul says, I didn't know. I didn't know he was a high priest. And you go, how in the world does Paul not know who the high priest is? Well, remember, Paul's been away from Jerusalem for about 30 years. He's come back and forth, but he hasn't been spending a whole lot of time there. This is an informal setting. They're not sitting in their normal seats. They're not wearing their normal robes. So it's very there's a crowd of guys there. It's very easy to believe that Paul would not have known that he was the high priest. They just gathered them together. But what did... What did, what did Paul do when he heard that it was the high priest? He submitted to the Word. What Word? Well, he quotes it. Exodus twenty two twenty eight. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of His people. He repented. He turned. He said, man, I did not know 
Deuteronomy 17 says, if any case arises requiring decisions between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, one kind of assault or another, any case within your town that's too difficult, you shall arise and go up to that place um, before the Lord your God. He will choose and you will come to the priest and to the judge who's in the office those days and you will consult them and they will declare to you the decision. Then you will do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord chooses. And you will be careful to do all that they direct you according to the instructions they give you, according to the decision which they pronounce you will do. You will not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who ministers there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man will die and you will purge evil from Israel. That's the law. That's the word of God. And you go, but wait a minute. He was evil. Ananias was evil, yes, but the office he was in wasn't. We're living in a time now where most young people, 35 or under, have no respect for authority. Hardly any. They're not, they're not openly rebellious that way, but it's internal. They feel no respect for authority. And I'll give you a perfect example. I was talking, and listen, I, 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 one of my sons, he's a great kid. He's doing good. He's raising his family so good in a lot of ways. But we were, we were in a place, and, and we were talking. And one time I interrupted him to say something. He goes, are you going to let me finish? Just like that. And just in that tone, and I said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. Because he was in the military. I said, w would you talk to a general like that? And he goes, no. And I said, well, then why do you think it's okay to talk to me like that? I said, I'm your father. And I said, God says for you to honor me, that was dishonoring what you just did. Oh, but he felt the freedom to do that. This is not an isolated thing. It, it's happening more and more. Uh, I've heard young people challenging pastors. Well, who does he think he is? There's no respect for office anymore. No respect for the positions God has put. Listen, it's not that the men can't be wrong. They are. We're human. But, but Paul says, oh, I didn't know. When he was told this guy was a high priest, he had a respect for the authority position not the guy the guy was a scumbag but he was in a position that God had ordained to be respected as a position of authority and and I think for us especially in the divisiveness that we live in right now in the time we need to be mindful of that for our own lives as we think about people who are in authority this is interesting. Over in Exodus 22, verse 8 and 9, listen to this. If the thief is not found, this is God's describing laws and the way that people should respond. If the thief, talking about if somebody's stolen something. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God 
to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, or a cloak, or any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The word there for God in both cases is Elohim. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. Again, Elohim. That word Elohim translated God, he's talking about the judge. He's talking about the judge. I got a chance to go pray uh, for a friend of mine who was being installed as a judge here in Jacksonville. I think, were you there, David? Um, and anyway, I got a chance to address all the judges that were there because when one judge is installed, they, all of them will come down there eventually to be there for that moment. And I challenged the judges. I said, you guys represent God's judgment for people here. It's a very solemn position you have. You represent his word of justice for people. You don't take bribes. You don't do it. You treat the poor like the rich because God's put you in this position to look and represent him. You don't do this for you. You represent him. And Paul, Paul responded to that and he says, and he quotes from, Deuter- or from Exodus to say that. And, and you know, Paul submitted to the Word of God. Luke 11 says, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. You know what that was said in response to? People are going, Blessed are the breasts that nursed you. In other words, blessed is your mom, the lady that brought you into the world. And Jesus said, No. Blessed are the ones who keep my word. Those are the people that are blessed. So we need to be submissive to the word of God. John MacArthur said the next best thing to not sinning is to admit right away when you have and turn from it. Don't look at your sin in relation to other people's sin. Look at your sin in relation to God's holiness. Because we have a tendency to judge ourselves based on other people. It would have been very easy if Paul said, well, this guy's a high priest. And he's sinning. And he's going to stand in judgment of me. So, Paul was submissive to his word. But he was also securing his son. Verse 6 says that he says, when Paul perceived one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he's cried out, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. And I'm on trial with respect to the resurrection. (laughs) The hope of the resurrection. Paul brings the resurrection into the council now. How many times do you think some of the guys on this council have heard the story of Jesus? God is so merciful. He brings it back in front of them again. Paul brings the resurrection up. The majority of the council was Pharisees. But it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the supernatural. The Sadducees were rationalists. They didn't. The Pharisees believed that God was sovereign over everything. The Sadducees didn't. They believed God kind of created you and then you're kind of left to your own. That He was distant and not really a part. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. 
the Sadducees did not. Remember that from Jesus' own interaction with them. We know that, right? They were the the Sadducees were the liberal progressives. The Pharisees were the conservatives. That's true. That's the way they viewed them. Really, the only thing those two groups agreed on was killing Jesus and killing Paul. That's the truth. They never agreed. In fact, do you know when one side would win an argument in the Sanhedrin, they would have a feast and celebration? I'm not kidding you. They would have a party. It was so important for them. There was this big faction of Pharisees and Sadducees. They were always like this. And so Paul, it was brilliant on his part. God obviously gave this to him. He goes, he perceived, and we know from the text it says he perceived they were Sadducees and Pharisees there. He goes, hey, I'm a Pharisee. Now think about that. Was Paul a good Pharisee? Yeah. Listen, see, when we think Pharisee, how many of you guys grew up thinking when you heard the word Pharisee, hypocrite? How many of you guys grew up thinking that when you heard the word Pharisee, evil or bad? Pharisees weren't bad. They were the heroes of Israel. They were the ones who really wanted to keep the law. But what happened is, a group of them, and there were some who were legalists, and they built, they said, okay, if this is the law, let's build another fence around the law to make sure we don't violate it. Now, their intentions were good, but what they ended up doing were becoming, well, well, you know what? I'm not really violating the law. Everybody else is trying to keep the fence, and they're going, I know I can go this far into it. And they started becoming hypocrites. But the Pharisees were not... So Paul goes, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a son of Pharisees. This is in my lineage. What were they doing when they heard that? Hey, this guy's on our side. Why are we going to do this to him? He's one of us. And so it was brilliant because the Pharisees then go, hey, he's talking about resurrection. We believe in resurrection. Notice they didn't say maybe Jesus appeared to him. They said maybe a ghost or an angel. Because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And so a dissension arose. Paul had already said twice that Jesus appeared to him. And the Pharisees were listening because they believed in that kind of stuff. But the Sadducees, it says, they don't believe in angels. They don't believe in resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Sorry, that's an old preacher joke. Had to throw that in. You've heard that, right? Um, But the Pharisees said this, and it's interesting that Luke records it, that we find nothing wrong in this man. Did they say that about something else? Yeah. What if an angel or a spirit appeared to him? You see, it wasn't about saving Paul that they cared. Their motivation was to win the argument. Their motivation. Does God use people sometimes whose motivation aren't good to do His stuff? Yeah, He does. He does. But Paul, you can be assured, you can be assured that he gave them the gospel. Titus 
Then Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God. Titus 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of what? Eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. When Paul writes Titus, he's talking about the hope that he has in the resurrection. Paul's hope was secured in the resurrection. He was secure in his, the Son of God. He was secure in what Jesus had done. Over in 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, Blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is in vain. Paul said that later. So Paul is secure in the Son. And he brings that up here. It creates a dissension in front of the Pharisees. By the way, how many times in Israel's past has God turned Israel's enemies into confused, bumbling idiots that fight each other? The Sanhedrin is violently disagreeing now. They're violently, it says. And Claudius still doesn't have any charges against Paul. The Roman soldiers rescue Paul again. And finally, what happens? Now I want you to imagine, after all Paul's been through, he's been through this whole ordeal of being beaten by the mob, the Roman soldiers take him, then they bring him back the next day in front of the Sanhedrin, he gets smashed in the mouth, He's thinking, man, I wanted my brothers to hear this message. Do you think he was discouraged? You think he was going through a dark time? I think so. And what does God do? He stood by him. I, I, I think this is one of the most beautiful texts where it says, the Lord stood by him. He cares. We have a God who cares. Our God is not like all the other deities that are distant deities that could care less about us, that we got to just bring sacrifices to appease Him all the time and wonder if He really loves us. He tells us, He shows us throughout Scripture. He cares. He stands by us. Does He care when you're going through a hard time? Remember back in 2 Kings 6 when Elijah is being persecuted, or Elisha is being persecuted, and his servants going, "What are we going to do? What are we going to do?" Lord, open his eyes to let him know you're with us. Show him who's with us, Lord. That there's more with us. And he opens his eyes, and the servant sees all these angels there that God has provided. Or in Daniel chapter three, when these guys say, "We're not going to ever bow down to you," okay, you're going in the fiery furnace. Wait, there's four guys in there. I thought we only put three in. Who was there with them? The Lord was there with them. Over in Joshua 1. Do you remember our theme last year? Was it last year, the Rock Kazakh? Was there two years ago? For the, was it last year or two years ago? Yeah. Remember what Rock Kazakh? Be strong. Be strong. Joshua 1. Joshua's taken over for Moses. He was nervous. He was scared. How many times did God tell him, be strong, be strong? 
No man will stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Guys, that is so comforting. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. You will cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from the right to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. God stood by him. 30 years ago, God appeared to Paul in Jerusalem. When he was going through a difficult time in Corinth, he appeared to him, and now he appears to him again. Reminds me of Isaiah 42. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens. This is verse 5, Isaiah 42. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. God said, Paul, be courageous. Just as you testified about me here in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. He experienced the presence of God. How do we experience His presence? Do you? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people, I just don't feel anything. Man, I, I never feel anything. Were well, you spending time in the Word? No. Well, I can tell you, that's part of your problem. Well, I read it and I don't understand anything. Well, that's part of your problem too. You see, to experience God, you've got to spend time in His Word. You've got to spend time in prayer. And you've got to spend time with His people. Almost everybody who tells me that has withdrawn. They don't spend any time around God's people. They don't spend any time in His Word and they don't feel like praying. And they wonder why they don't experience His presence. So as we close out today, think about this. Is there any area of my life right now that I'm not submissive to God's Word? Is there any area that I'm not submissive to His Word? If somebody points out to you that you're not submissive and you, ah, uh, I don't care. That's just His interpretation. You better be examining it to make sure you're not going against His Word. That's like blocking the pipe of God's flow of grace. It doesn't mean that you, you, you'll... <clears throat> you know, you're going to be condemned to hell, but you certainly won't experience His fellowship and his, the feeling of His presence if you have known sin that you're in rebellion to Him. It's like blocking the pipe, the water pipe. First thing. Second, am I seeking my security outside of Jesus? I was talking to a guy yesterday about the SVB bank thing and all that. Do you know... This bank had billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. 
In fact, 95% of the account holders in there had more than 250,000. Do you know what the average account balance was? $4 million. The average person, the average account holder there was $4 million. And yet, all that went away for people. They don't know what they're doing. They're panicked because their security's tied up in that. If all your money was taken away tomorrow, would you still be secure? Could happen. If Russia and China invade tomorrow and we're put in camps, would you be secure? Corey Tinboom was. Bonhoeffer was. You see, their security was never in the world. And we've grown up in a culture where our security is in our 401k, it's in our house, a two-car garage, now a three-car garage, TVs in every room. That's where our security is. Internet, imagine the internet goes away tomorrow. Think about how radically your life would be changed. Do you know that China clipped the wires on Taiwan not too long ago? took away their internet for a period of time. Imagine that happening. It can happen. We, we See, we live in a bubble, and we think that kind of stuff can't happen. <coughs> Finally, am I experiencing God's presence right now? If not, why? Do I need to be in the Word? Do I need to be praying more, spending more time with Him? Do I need to be around His people more? I hope this has given you some food for thought just as you think about Paul's life, what he's going through. This is a man who lived it out. He didn't just preach it. He lived it. And what he shows us is a God who cares. So, um, thank you guys for being here. Jim, would you close our time in prayer today? Yes, yeah, sure would. Father God, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, I just pray for all these men in this room right now. And I just ask as we leave here today, Father, I pray, first of all, forgive us of our sins, Father, that we've done anything, Lord, or if we're involved in anything that's uh, keeping us away from you, I pray that you'd forgive us, and I pray that we would just repent um, and lean more on you, Father, just, you know, as Doug said, Father, I pray that we would find our peace and our hope in your word, and that, uh, as Jesus said, you, if you obey my word, you love me. I pray that we would just find, as we grow every day, would we grow closer to you and further away from this world uh, what we are going to face Father and what we are facing today is going to become worse and I pray that as we as men serving you Father would fill the gaps because I think Lord as we get closer to your coming um, there's going to be fewer people a lot will fall away but Father I pray that you would help us remain I just pray today Lord as we all leave here some way somehow if we can share the love of Jesus Christ uh, with somebody. That is our commission. So, Father, I pray that you would empower us to do that. Walk with us. Protect us from the enemy. Pray over all the families that are represented here. And, Father, you know the needs of each and every one of us. So, Father, we just commit our lives to you today. Be glorified in them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.